Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of their journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, we talk to Jake Gillespie, class of 2015, architect for Via Chicago. Jake will share with us how a pivot early in college and a year studying in Rome set the foundation in a career of architectural design. Joining us today from the class of 2015 is Jake Gillespie. Jake, what do you do? Hey, uh, thanks for having me. So I'm nowadays an architect living in Chicago. So Jake, let's kind of rewind a little bit. When did you begin the uh, understanding that you had an aptitude for the types of things that would lead you to a career in architecture? It was totally on a whim. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I I applied to colleges as an engineering student because that was kind of always my strengths when it came to school. And then it, uh, it took all of about two weeks in the engineering program my freshman year to realize that I really didn't want to spend the next four years, much less 40, uh, doing that kind of work. So I started shopping around for other options. So that's kind of interesting to me. That was actually one of the questions that I was going to ask you. What is the difference between the type of work that one would do as an architect versus maybe a structural engineer or engineering? How would you kind of describe the difference between those two and why did it matter to you? Yeah, so when it comes to construction, architects are always the project lead. And so it's really there. They're the ones that get to have sort of that vision, the ones that get to decide the big picture trajectory of everything. And it's up to engineers to consult the project and make it happen. And that comes, you know, down to there can be a whole spread of engineers depending on the project. Obviously, it's a little smaller if it's just a house. But if you've got a skyscraper, you've got civil engineers, you've got people figuring out foundations all the way up through the structure, up to the building skin. So you notice, like, the glass walls, whatever it is. So, uh... That's, that's where I decided that I was more interested in kind of the, the architectural side because it's, it's just a lot more all-encompassing. And at the end of the day, if you are in the lead of the design of your project, you're really the one that gets to make the big calls. Did you always know that you wanted to go to Notre Dame? No. I mean, honestly, looking back, I feel like I based that decision on very little I, uh, it wasn't my first choice at the time and I had heard about it. I, you know, gotten a 75 minute tour and aside from that, you know, I based the decision on just a, a bit of a name recognition and they had a pretty campus and I guess that was good enough for 18 year old me at the time. <laughs> um, 
and it turned out great. I mean, I'm super thankful that I went there. It's awesome. But yeah, in retrospect, it's like I made that decision off of just a couple of brochures and and a hunch. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, it's so it's so crazy how those kind of like those gut gut feelings kind of can drive so much. So, uh, what were some of the earlier early classes in architecture that really kind of confirmed that this is what you wanted to do? You know, so like I said, my first semester I spent in engineering, and those classes were kind of eh. And then the when I switched over, <clears throat> second semester, I was kind of doing half and half because I wasn't sure that I wanted to go all the way into architecture. So I kept on an extra math class for engineering that would kind of keep me afloat if I wanted to go back. Uh, but then otherwise, I took two classes one was a drafting class so just you know drafting by hand which is pretty old school um by today's standards a lot of architecture schools spend like a week or two doing that uh they kind of humor it um but notre dame's architecture program i'm sure i'll get into a little more later though super old school it's this classical program so we spend a whole semester drawing and starting to learn how to render with watercolor so that was one class. And then the other was, I think they called it analysis of architectural writings. But that was, it was really more of just a history class, um, like a history of ideas more so than buildings. And so it that was really what got me interested because it started to unpack theory, and it, but it started to do so within like a historical context, going back all the way from you know, Stonehenge pretty much up to current day. And seeing that intersection of art and math and theory and religion and social impacts and technology and how that was all factoring into this, that made me really interested because, uh, I mean, I have, I have a lot of widespread interests and my thought at the time was that going into architecture would let me stay in a pretty multidisciplinary mindset. So that's really what it came down to. That's what sold it for me. Sounds like a such a you kind of described that as, as just an, a, a phenomenal intersection of so many great ideas and all of that. And I know that you were able to do a study abroad uh, in Rome. Uh, and I was wondering if you could maybe kind of describe like how you were able to kind of bundle all of those things that you just described in your study abroad program. Yeah. So that's what brings a lot of people to Notre Dame's architecture program. One, the classical side of things that attracts some people, um, because most architecture programs look at things starting in, you know, the turn of the 20th century and forward and kind of turn it back to anything that happened previously. Uh, but our program reaches back way farther and really draws primarily from the Renaissance, actually. But uh, the, the best thing about the program, though, is that our third year out of five is spent in Rome, and that's been for 51 years built into the program there, uh, which is super incredible. So you're guaranteed this year there, and you're studying the city, and you're you know designing your own student projects at the same time. But, I mean, diving in and looking at the ruins around you and getting to know the city and all these crazy layers that have built up over 2,700 years. So it's really a phenomenal experience. I mean, study abroad is something that I think everybody 
loves and everybody should do if they ever get the opportunity to. But there is something so much more intense. Um, and, you know, there's kind of a magic about it in that you were really studying the physical place layer through layer. What was, like, some of the things that really surprised you about the enduring quality of some of the structures that you saw while you were in Rome? I mean, there there's a whole range of stuff that is preserved decently, and then other things where, you know, there's only one, one column still standing up. Um, but the, the magnitude of some of these places, that sure, they might be, you know, they might be as tall as a six-story building today, but it's not necessarily the height that is so crazy, but it's the feel of them. When you're walking through these bathhouses that have these 90-foot arches spanning over what would have been these huge pools, and there's there's something heavy about them, something that feels monumental, even though it wasn't necessarily a monument per se. Um, and yes, this magnitude, this experience of history that becomes so much more real. And I think it's really easy to zone out when it comes to history because it's just a story. But once you're actually there and you realize that not just that this could have happened, but that it did happen, and it's the same people back then as we are today that we're doing it, it's this really surreal and like sublime feeling that you get. And it, it makes it so much more interesting and exciting to study those sorts of things. Where else would were you primarily? So you're obviously primarily located in Rome, but did you get to go to like Florence or any of the other um, European cities that had uh, pretty profound uh, architecture as well? Yeah, we were. I mean, we were beyond spoiled. I mean, just the, the opportunity in general, but even the th places we got to go once we were already there uh, was awesome. We let's see. I think we had three or four week-long trips yeah we had four week-long trips as a class so one was up in tuscany and so that's the northwest of um of italy and that's where florence is and there's a bunch of these old medieval hill towns and so we spend a week kind of doing a bus tour going to a different city every day uh, so we had one there we had another in the veneto that's over in the north east side of Italy. So that's Vicenza and Venice. And I mean, Venice is just like the most bizarre place on earth. I think <laughs> you, you look around and you're like, how did this ever make sense? The people made right. this place. Yeah. It almost feels, it feels like Disney world. It's so bizarre. It almost feels fake, but it's incredible. And then we, we took another that was split between Naples and Sicily. Um, so, and Sicily is just like an incredible intersection also when it comes to history, because there were so many people that have lived there over history. So it was, it was an Athenian colony, but then there have, there, you know, it was a huge Arabic presence for years. There were, I want to say it was the Moors, and there's these bizarre hodgepodges of architecture, you know, you'll see something in one region, just, you know, say central Italy, and you start to recognize an architectural language that belongs to a people in a time. And you might see that from different areas, you know, you might get to see some Arabic architecture, um, you know, from, say, the 
1400s. But then you go to Sicily, and these things all clashed because it's such a multicultural place. And so the buildings are reflective of that in that they, you can see elements of different cultures that just blended together or you know something was started by one group of people and 200 years later when the church wasn't finished someone else picked it up and then left their own mark and then uh our our fourth trip then was to paris which kind of i think can speak for itself what a what an amazing opportunity that you were able to spend a full year uh studying what so what was the main project that you had to work on while you were there we had, we had one project each semester. So the first one, and, the, and it's diving into like classic Italian typologies of buildings. So the first semester was the Palazzo, which is really an urban palace. So those tended to be where you know, the families that were all involved with the popes and you know they were rich merchants once the Renaissance started picking up after the Black Plague in Europe. And so, you know, it was really this influx of money into people who were not necessarily kings, although you're as good as, if not better than a a king, if you're a pope (laughs) in old Rome. But see, these families that were kind of dynasties that created these urban palaces that started off as fortresses in the very beginning, kind of coming out of the, the Dark Ages in Europe. And then they became much more urban, more integrated into the city as a whole. You know, they became more public and just honestly a little more charming and beautiful as time went on. And the culture within Italy and Rome and Europe as a whole started to warm up again. So that was our first semester was designing our own palazzo for a museum. Um, that's what a lot of those buildings have become today. <laughs> They're not necessarily um, all where uh, the, the, let's say, European elites are camping out in the middle of cities. And then the second semester was diving into the villa, which is as old as the Roman Republic um, in terms of also like a typology. So something that's been repeated, sometimes forgotten, but then picked up again over time. And it's the idea of getting, I mean, traditionally it wasn't even that far outside of the city because cities were so dense and defined at their walls, but having a little retreat where you could go and get out of these intense, you know, for most of history, kind of gross and slummy and overbuilt cities into somewhere that was beautiful with your manicured gardens. So we got to design one of those um, and we got to, make it oh gosh i think it was supposed to be a villa but that was an art academy yes we were were diving in yeah i was wondering like when you get to design these structures do they is there are there any kind of creative constraints that are given to you to say like well it has to be only using materials regionally and it, it can only be of a certain uh, height and stuff like that. Do they put any kind of um, constraints other than the obviously like the fact that it has to be this type of structure, but in terms of materials and any other things uh, in the uh, design challenge for you? It's a big debate among professors in architecture school of how real and constrained you should make a project, a student project. 
versus how open it should be for a student to just explore their own thoughts. Mm. And so it kind of depends on semester to semester because both are totally valid arguments. I mean, some professors want you to really have to dive into the, the building technology. So knowing how the actual members are made, you know, how the wall meets the roof and how the building sheds water, you know, what materials everything is made up of. But then other professors, and the ones that I tended to um, have more fun with, <laughs> at least, they just wanted you to take an idea and run and get excited about architecture as a discipline, you know, as a course of study, and as your future career, uh, because there's certainly a million restraints once you get to the actual practice of it in the real world. But they, there were a lot of professors, and they were the ones that I think instilled the most excitement in me about architecture, again, like as a discipline of study, but also as a profession, that just let you run wild. You know, there were a couple things, sometimes they had to rein in your, <laughs> where you were going with it a little bit. But overall, they just wanted you to dive into history, look at examples, look at precedent, get your own ideas going, look at things around you, and then make something happen that you were excited about and proud about, as long as you finish, of course, because <laughs> that's always the big problem. Yeah, it, it, it's, it was, it's just an interesting challenge. It, it, I always, there's a quote that someone said once, I think it, it was uh, Orson Welles, the very famous director, he said that uh, the absence of limitations is the enemy of art. And I always thought that that was kind of like one of those really, because you know, there's otherwise you have that kind of paradox of choice where like it might be too hard to kind of lift off in your creativity if you didn't know what to kind of push off against. So I yeah. love that quote, how it kind of like uh, informs everything. So, okay. So what an experience that you were in Italy and all that. So now you come back to year four in your uh, program at Notre Dame for architecture and so now I would imagine at this time you have a, a, you know, you have a lot of experience travel abroad. You've really kind of gone into some of the design and you've really started to kind of develop a sense of your own kind of philosophy of, of architecture. And, you know, one of my questions was that, you know, how I, I, every, I always hear about people who design that they have kind of this binary, right? Which it's this idea of like, what is, what's the balance between your sense of form versus function? And I was wondering like how you might maybe describe your um, approach to uh, that particular uh, idea when it comes to uh, design. And, and, and I'm sure I'm, I'm giving a very kind of basic, you know, idea of what that may be in terms of a philosophy of a, of a design. Um, but I was wondering what, how you, you take that in and how you begin to conceive of your uh, ideas of creativity and what you do. Yeah. I think one of the things that draws me to architecture is that it's really the process of organization. And it gets very technical the farther in the design process you get when it goes from these big ideas into producing drawings that somebody will use as instructions to actually make it. But it, when, uh, as I was saying, yeah, it comes down to this idea of organization and I think generating meaning by the way that you organize the different rooms on different levels 
what the feel is like, you know, what the interior design is going to be like to complement this. And that's what makes me really excited personally. So I guess that's, you know, on that binary, it really is driven by function. And the form, I think, in the way that I think about it, which is really the way that I was taught at Notre Dame's program, is that the form is really a beautification of the function. And so you're taking things as needed, as the way they need to be in order to function correctly, but you're doing them in a way that's not just raw, it's not unfinished, it's not, you know, just clunky. It's not something that just, you know, like, quote, gets the job done, but you're taking something as it is with the materials it's made of and doing it in the most elegant way you can. And in that part, and there could be, you know, there's endless possibilities of doing something, you know, again, quote, unquote, the right way. But it's your own touch and your own preferences that drive that form at the very end. Uh, and that's that's kind of the process that I go through. Oh, that's great. You know, so to kind of follow up on, on that question and kind of back to, you know, from the, the theory and philosophy of it, um, then what are there, so you come back from, from Rome and you, you resume your year four, do you do you do any like intern when when does the process of maybe having a professional internship when does that begin mm -hmm. so i did a uh, from the end of my freshman year actually i worked for a surveyor in west chicago because it was about as close as i could get to the building industry um, so I started to pick up a few skills there, and then a few skills I had from that let me get, I mean, I can barely even call it a, an internship, but more being a draftsman at an architect's office the following summer. And that was, you know, nothing that I loved. It was, it was a long drive in the morning. It was doing houses that I didn't really find particularly interesting or exciting, kind of a dull office environment but I got to build off of the skills that I'd made previously and then by the time I was coming back from Rome the following summer I actually did have you know some things I could offer when I was interviewing so that's when I really picked up what I would consider my first real internship at a at a small kind of boutique high-end residential firm in River North in Chicago and so that was, that was like my first real experience in the whole like de architectural design and how it interacts with, um, you know, a little bit of engineers, but mostly interior design. And it was pretty formative because then that really drove me to go the opposite direction <laughs> the following <laughs> summer. It, uh, I went and worked for a larger firm. It was about 100 people in Washington, D.C., and they were doing... They did big urban planning projects, um, you know, big mixed-use developments, with, you know, 300 apartments. Um, and they did everything even up to, like, some high-rises. I didn't work on those. Um, but that was, that kind of was the next step in the process. And there were things I liked and there were things that I didn't like. It. And so that drove me to where I currently work, which was my first real job out of school. 
uh, which is at a super small firm, but we do a whole collection of different projects. Some residential, some commercial, um, some very typical, you know, normal little projects, others that are kind of far out there and exciting and different. So just kind of go back to your experience at Notre Dame. Now, to to graduate, it's a five-year program. How is there, you know, sometimes when people have a an advanced degree or have a type of certification in this particular field, I was wondering, you, you do you present a portfolio and that gets kind of evaluated in some way? What is, what's the end product that kind of allows you to exit the program of architecture at Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. So there are accredited programs and unaccredited programs. I won't get too much into the weeds of this stuff because it's really not that interesting unless you're trying to apply to architecture school. Um, And that really depends on once you graduate, will that degree allow you to become a licensed architect or will it not? Um, You don't need a license to practice, but you do need a license if you ever want to sign off on your own projects and basically have your name on it. Um, so my program is accredited and accredited programs you need, I mean, there's a whole bunch of random requirements, but the biggest thing on top is having a thesis project, um, which is usually done either in the end of your fourth year or in your fifth year is the most typical. And so the thesis project is, you know, your capstone. It's you've taken everything that you've learned over the previous years in school and you're applying it. And really trying to make a statement about what your view on architecture is. And now this can be anything. So people have all types of projects, all types of buildings, all types of styles all over the world. You can do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, you just have to do it in a way that convinces your jurors and really your professor that you're demonstrating a level of competency that well, that means that you're deserving of the degree. And so it's we spend a semester designing it. And but the previous semester is when you start doing your research and gathering your materials, all your information. Um, you know, in theory, <laughs> you're supposed to be doing that. Uh, so that you're setting yourself up to success for success and hitting the ground running. Yeah. So do you remember what your big project was for that? Yeah. So, yeah. Design. Yeah. So mine was, and it's funny because uh, you know people will talk about their thesis project for the rest of their career um, when they're with other architects. You know, people love to hear, "Oh, what you do? Where was it? How'd it go?" Uh, so it's it's really a big thing. People hold on to their drawings for forever, pretty much. Mine was a uh, was taking Goose Island in Chicago. That's this. You know, it's like a 160-acre artificial island in the heart of the city. It's where it was a whole big industrial corridor that lined the city from you know, the 1860s when it was created, really up until today. Um, it's this bizarre thing in the middle of the city where for over a half mile wide, when you're going from you know my side on the west side to the east side of town, you're just passing through what feels all of a sudden like very suburban warehousey. Uh, so my project was proposing a, a master plan to redevelop the whole island into like its own new neighborhood. And then at the very end of it was creating a 
gosh, I'm, I'm not sure how I would even pitch this again today. Creating a facility that was a combination of an auditorium and kind of a think space. The idea of that being somewhere that would host I don't know, like TED Talks and, and sorts of big discussions on industry and that sort of thing combined with a series of off, basically office buildings and co-working buildings that were all integrated into one space. And the idea is that you'd have the space for high-minded discussion about the trajectory of things, but it was surrounded by people actually doing the real work. And so it's this interaction between you as the individual doing your day-to-day -day tasks, but your vicinity to and interaction with the bigger picture ideas that affect everyone in your industry and just, you know, society as a whole. Graduate. And um, so how did you come to the job that you have uh, right now uh, in the city? Yeah, so I met, well, before I even get into meeting them, I work at a small firm called Via Chicago. And so started by my, my two bosses who um, were Notre Dame students as well. Uh, they're 10 and 11 years older than me. And so, yeah, they were at Notre Dame. They met, they got married. Um, super common in architecture to have husband-wife firms, as it turns out. Um, and so they, I mean, since they're young, they started their own firm together. They're in Chicago. Notre Dame is only in South Bend, not too far away. So they come every year for the past few years and give a talk to... Uh, students who are about to graduate, both the undergrad fifth-year students and graduate students who are taking a professional practice course. You know, and that class is just about you know the the reality of the business end of architecture and the things you need to know going into it. So, anyways, they came and get give a presentation every year, and so I had met them through that. Attended as a fourth-year student, I I think I you know sat in on their presentation and I just kept up with them over the next year and a half um, and they I, I actually had every intention of leaving Chicago I was trying to get out of the Midwest since I grew up here and since I went to school here and so they were actually the only firm out of maybe 20 that I was talking to and you know scheduling interviews with that was located in Chicago but then when the pandemic hit every firm slowly just one by one over the course of two through four weeks probably started uh just sending out an email saying hey sorry we can't hire anymore you know the economy is tanking we're, there's a lot of uncertainty we just can't give any offer to that right now and so as may went on nobody was there but then via chicago was the only firm that was able to say hey you know Things are strange, but we think that we still have enough work where we can take somebody on. And I think that's a testament to the difference between a large company, you know, a company in the way that we typically think of it, and then the small little sh shop that's doing the small firm hustle thing and how they just operate differently. And, you know, the big economic catastrophe <laughs> that COVID um instilled in everybody last spring and summer it hits the big companies in a certain way but the small places can kind of hustle their way through those sorts of moments of turmoil or at least in this situation they were able to so 
they said that uh, I could join on part-time for the summer and, you know, they couldn't guarantee me a super long-term job, but I thought, hey, I'm not doing anything else right now, obviously. So I started part-time and then when summer came to an end and things were looking more promising, I, I joined on full-time and moved to a place just down the street from the office. That's so great. I, I was wondering, too, about what would what's a typical day then so you you have a nice commute in the morning you get to walk uh to work um but then once you're in the office um so how how do the how do the um how does the work come to you like do they say like we need you to design this particular idea like what what, what typically comes across your desk and how do you work through it yeah so architecture is i mean it is a creative industry you know it's a creative profession but the creative and exciting part is only one i mean dare i call it even small part of the job um architecture works in phases so it goes all the way from the schematic end of things to actually being in construction administration so being on a job site checking in making things making sure things are doing right and in between those two you go from big idea to some you know a rough floor plan after that you start thinking about what the elevations of the building will look like you start maybe get a little renderings in there and then once everything is more or less set in place is when you start the next process of actually detailing things out in you know at a way higher level of precision so that they can they can be built um so yeah, the creative part is is really upfront. It doesn't necessarily I wouldn't call the rest of the process creative, but it's it's the necessary part if you want to see your ideas actually brought into life. Because as it turns out, there's a lot of bits and pieces that go into buildings and there's a lot of um, there's a lot more wrong ways to do it than right ways, as it turns out. I was I was wondering, you know, kind of like more of like a kind of returning back to like the the eye of an architect and all of that. Um, are there any like are there any like cities or types of buildings in those cities that you would still like to go visit and say like there's just there there are things there that I want to see because this is what I like. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. The world is at the same time so big and so small and there's so much out there to see but it's never been easier to go out and see it uh, i've been really lucky in that i've been able to see a lot of different cities around europe you know i've had the whole year abroad but then i've also been able to do two different research projects where i got to go back the following summers um, to go study some different aspects of architecture and art um, so I've spent a lot of time there. Europe is a tiny little continent, <laughs> a pretty big planet. So I still have big curiosities about other parts of the world. I'm really fascinated with South and Southeast Asia, both from the new cities, but also the old, you know, there's a lot more we can learn from older cities, congested cities, places that are really built up on top of each other. Um, because there's something superhuman about them and the way that they end up being laid out. That's why people love, and my program loved studying medieval cities, is because they were 
they're, they have these tiny little winding roads and they seem chaotic, but once you start to learn how to read them, you understand the logic and it just, they make so much sense and they're just these incredible places. Or at least they are now that we have, um, you know, sewers and running water. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a lot of cities that I would just be totally fascinated to check out. I think I'd love to take a trip to India, both for the experience of the cities, but also the religious architecture over time, not to mention the regal architecture that's also spanned centuries that's there to see. It's just interesting how you were saying that, like how you get to kind of in, in many ways when you examine it without exactly having a roadmap, you have to kind of imagine the type of reverse engineering of the logic of why they made the decisions. It's kind of, it's a, it's like, a, it's just interesting to kind of think of it as a puzzle uh, that way with how you, you kind of engage with the, if you were to say that the, uh, the architecture is a text and how you kind of just kind of dismantle it and unpack it in, in such a way. Yeah. And I was wondering like, what would be a, what's like a, a dream project for you if they said, all right, so here's the, here's the, the space, here's the material and here's like, you know, if you had your own kind of um, canvas and you had, you know, and, and money was no issue, what, what, where would you, what would you begin to design and what would that be kind of look like? What would that project be? That's funny that you say money is not the issue. So that's going to be my next question is what's the budget? Blank <laughs> yeah. check, blank check, of course. Yeah. 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 At, that, at the end of the day, that's, that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. Um, which is a little, little unfortunate, but that's just the reality of things. I mean, yeah. you see these incredible pro, you know, projects, like I said, in ancient Rome that were massive. And, I mean, you can't imagine what these places were like when they were actually intact, much less all of them together in one place. Uh, but then you remember that the only reason that those places were made so incredible is because Rome was an expanding empire. <laughs> and they had yeah. spoils and they were, you know, they were stealing right uh wealth from their territories as they conquered them and so that's what was fueling the incredible the incredible emerging city back home i think though if it really came down to it i would be i love site design um, and so i could see that either in an urban or a more rural setting you know, something like a new urban development where you're generating, kind of like my thesis project, the idea of you're, you're creating, you're laying out the framework for, say, 100 new buildings over the next 40 years or something to be built. Um, but the idea that you're, you're laying the groundwork that, you know, if it's done right, if it's done well, it'll generate life and you know, character and... A, a new place, not in the literal sense, but, you know, the sense where we call something a place versus a space, somewhere that is, you know, has a recognizable name, a recognizable character, a recognizable feel. I think those projects are awesome. Those really excite me. Then something else like, say, a college campus would also be fascinating to be able to design. Granted, there's not too many people starting uh, campuses from scratch these days. <laughs> But something where it's, it's buildings interacting with landscape and on a, on a larger scale, there's not too many opportunities for that outside. Something like a college design other than maybe a resort or uh, you know, somebody's personal estate. 
but any of those sorts of things. I mean, really those two types of projects would be awesome because it's generating something that's larger than just a building. It's using the tension between buildings and their environment to generate something that has a feel and a life to it outside of just the bricks and mortar itself. I was thinking too about what, you know, when you walk into a building, when you're just kind of, you know, uh, just in your capacity as a citizen, you know, you still look at things probably as an architect. What would, if to the lay person, you know, to the common person that would walk in, what are the things that we should look at to like to, that we could look at really quickly at a building and say, aha, that's good quality. What would be something that we, we could look at to understand like this has good, got good bones or smart design? What, what's something that, uh, that we could learn to think or see like an architect when we walk into a building? Think, look for the people is the biggest thing. Because if there's people around, I think that's a good metric of success. You know, either outside or inside of the space. If you see things that are being roped off or it looks like something had to be adapted to try and keep people out or in or something like that, then I think it's a sign of, of poor design. And of course, the physical structure of some place is important. Buildings are made to last, you know, in, in kind of modern terms to last a certain number of years. There are 100-year buildings, which are most. There are buildings that are made to last longer. There are buildings that are made to last less time. I mean, no no strip mall is meant to last particularly long, uh, but, you know, say a brand new city hall is obviously going to want to be around for a while. But outside of that, that quantitized way of thinking of the quality and, and longevity, I think it really does come come down to how are people using this place and interacting with it. Um, it's it's a shame when you see places that <laughs> whose renderings you know just were a lie to the client. Because people love to show. People always overemphasize how much activity will be in the site when they're showing a rendering. You know, the streetscape that you full of people, there will be a festival going on, and it looks so lively. But in reality, it comes down to how that building is interacting with its environment, what is its environment, um, and how well that place will really be used and loved and appreciated. So at the end of the day, you can make a building that will, will want to last for a long time, but if nobody cares about it, it's I guarantee you it's not going to be there for too long. Well, Jake, yeah, this has been super fun, and you know, I, I always like to uh, let the guest give our audience tips for success, advice for um, for success. Uh, at the end of the inter interview, I was wondering what you could share with uh, current and future Wildcats about uh, about being successful. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this today. You know, I was looking at what you told me about you know, the general trajectory of your interview and I was like, oh man, this stuff, what do I know now that I didn't know six years ago? I feel like it's not much, but <laughs> I, th I think in terms of uh, what I could offer that isn't just scraping around for some cliches is that you, you just got to get out. And I think you got to leave and you got to go places and it's, 
it can be very daunting. I feel like, especially growing up, I never thought of, you know, going super far as being very accessible. I was lucky in that early on, I feel like I had at least a few experiences going to some different cities around the country and, you know, meeting some people. Um, you know, I did that, I did that two week exchange program with Spain. And I think that was super foundational to my attitudes towards travel, but it's, there's a, a huge world out there and it's really easy to get comfortable. But while you're young and you have no real responsibilities or ties to certain places, getting out and going to new places, whether that's for trips or moving there and living somewhere, there's nothing that will shake you more and I think make you not necessarily grow up, but give you new perspective on life and show you a whole range of possibilities that you'll never understand or at least not believe are out there until you see them for yourself. Wow, that was great. That's 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 perfect. Well, Jake, thank you so much. This was I learned so much, and it's just always great to to catch up with uh, c- catch up with you and just learn so much about how an architect thinks. Though this was this was really fun. Yeah, my pleasure. I was super excited when I. Uh... When I heard that you were doing this, I got a text from my sister in the middle of the day of the day one day, just saying, "What's your email?" Answer quick. <laughs> and so I sent it, and then naturally never asked what it was for until about two or three weeks later <laughs> when it came up. When I found out that you had the show, yeah, I was I was super excited. Yeah. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the opportunity for uh, for me to to spill some chaotic architectural thoughts. <laughs> this is great. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, thanks much. Thanks for listening. You can follow We Go Places on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Just search We Go Vox, that's We Go, V-O-X, or search on Facebook for We Go Places Podcast.